Jesus, we thank you that you are risen today. God, that your word remains true this morning. God, we thank you for the hope we have in the gospel. We thank you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right now, we just lift our hands as an act and a posture of surrender to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you and to your work this morning. We ask that you would make the good news, the great news of Jesus, the gospel, that it would come alive in our hearts this morning. God, we thank you that we're not here on accident, we're not here on coincidence, God, but it is an honor and an opportunity, not an obligation. God, we lean into what the gospel has to say to us this morning. God, that you didn't stay in the grave, God, but you resurrected and you resurrected us to give us hope, to give us life. God, we thank you for what you're going to do, for what you've already done, and we celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You excited to be in the house of God this morning? Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're doing something a little bit different this morning. You know, they say when it comes to Easter Sunday to always um, study to get a message, but pray to get a burden. And both of those things have been stirring in me this morning. And the subject or really the theme or the topic I want to talk to you about this morning is beauty will save the world. And I want you to get that down in your spirit because there is a gospel that is so beautiful, a gospel that is so true, and a gospel that is so full of grace that it will change every aspect and every part of our life. Is there anyone here this morning that has experienced the beauty of the gospel and you're thankful for what Jesus has done? Well, unfortunately, we know is we've just come out of a series here at our church uh, called The Ten Gifts, where we looked at the commandments that were given and has, as they were given as gifts to uh, set us free and to help us live free. And what we will find as you begin to study church history or you begin just to look at our culture that there's counterfeits that exist. There's a counterfeit gospel that exists. And this morning, I want to really illustrate to you uh, in a pretty cool way. And, and what's neat is when you get an illustration, it stays with you. It doesn't leave you. But I want to read this counterfeit gospel to you that is really the opposite of revealing the beauty of Christ. And then I want to illustrate to us this morning what the good news, what the great news of Jesus is and why we worship him, why we surrender our lives to him, why you're here this morning to celebrate the resurrection. So I want to read this to you. And maybe you've heard the gospel presented like this to you. Maybe in an upbringing or whatever it looks like, this is how Jesus was presented to you. So I want you to hear this, and maybe you can identify with it. And as I read it, there is points of truth, but there's also some, some things in it that are wrong or that are incorrect. But I want to read it to you, and I want you to hear it for yourself. So it would start like this. It would say, in the beginning, God created man, and man had perfect fellowship with God. But then in the garden, man sinned, and he turned away from God. Because God is so holy and righteous, he cannot look upon man any longer because man is now sinful. 
No matter what man does, no matter how hard man tries, no matter how righteous man is after he has sinned, God still cannot look upon his righteousness and, his, and holiness because man is still sinful. No amount of good works can repay God for the offense that man has given him. So man is in a constant state of separation from God. But God in his love for man sends his son Jesus Christ who becomes man and lives as we should have lived in perfect communion and in sinlessness before God. Then at the end of his life, Jesus Christ is crucified. And when he is crucified, God does the unthinkable. He lays all of the sin of the human race on his son Jesus. When he does that, because he is holy and righteous, he then turns his back on his own son. The son then experiences Jesus, the fullness of the wrath of God against us in our place. Now we sinners, if we believe that Jesus Christ has done this, if we believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, we too then can now have this perfect fellowship with God once again. Because when God looks at us sinners, he no longer sees us and he, see, and he no longer sees our sins. He sees Jesus Christ and his blood. We are covered in the blood of the lamb. And here's what I find interesting about the reformer Martin Luther, what he says about this gospel, about a covering of righteousness. He says, it's though as we as humans are now snow-covered dumb. So you, you kind of begin to pick up on that, or even a modern translation or a modern quote from an evangelist, R.C. Sproul would put it, it's as though Jesus Christ is now our asbestos suit against the white-hot wrath of God against sinners. But here's what else it would say. But if the human being who is sinful does not believe in Jesus Christ and his righteousness and accept the righteousness of Christ in his place, then God cannot look upon him. And in the end, the sinner will be cast into hell into eternal separation from God, suffering the full punishment that he deserves in his sins because he has not accepted the sacrifice of Christ. So in a nutshell, this is a version of the gospel. Maybe you've heard it put that way where it's as though when we come to Christ, it's then a covering that is upon us that covers our sins but really doesn't fully uh, restore us and reconcile us back to Christ. And so I want to share with you this morning what I want to call a beautiful gospel, a gospel that has so captured my heart and a gospel, again, that really confronts and what we see in the person of Jesus, what he's done for us through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Before I share this gospel with you, I want to share two things with you, two points of theology, two tenets, if you would say, that we have to have foundational as believers. Number one is this, is that God doesn't change or God is immutable. Tim, if you would put that up on the screen. You know, this is, has to be a core value of what we believe about God, right? That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture reveals that, that if God changed with the times or if God changed based off what we did, then there wouldn't be that security and that foundation that we could rest and plant our lives firmly in the truth and in God's grace. So we have to understand, one, God, he doesn't mutate, he doesn't change. Number two is this this morning is that God is perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. If you wanna know the DNA, if you wanna know the profile, the personality of God, 
He is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. And this gives us great hope because when we read about Jesus, we then know about God. When we read about Jesus, we then know about the attributes of who the Holy Spirit is, that Jesus is the Word made flesh, John chapter 1 tells us. The gospel, when we read and we look at the life of Jesus, it again reveals so much about God. Now, the first gospel that I just shared with you, it would be very law-based, that the place where our sin would be taken care of would be more so in a courtroom or be something more jurisdictional, that we have missed the mark and now there's punishment and a judge then has to handle that. But the gospel I want to share with you this morning, which is a full gospel, which is a beautiful gospel, which is a gospel that offers healing, which is a gospel that has changed my life personally, and I know many of yours, is a gospel that is ancient, rooted in the word of God, and a gospel that we are called not just to experience, but to go into all the world and proclaim the goodness and the truth and the beauty and the grace of God. And so I want you to see it like this, is this gospel would start off the same, very similar to what I just read with you, where it would go in the beginning, God created man. And we have God right here, and I want to use this chair to illustrate God. So God has created man. And what does the Bible say in Genesis? He says that his creation was good. He loved his creation. And, and God, he created man in his image. And it says that Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the coolness of the day. They had relationship with God. They knew God's heart. And so they had this relationship, this face-to-face -face relationship. But we knew something terrible happened, right? Where the world would forever be changed. Where sin entered into the world. Sin entered into the human race. And because of sin, sin not just missing the mark, but something much fuller and something much bigger happened, is sin then broke our relationship with God. And out of that brokenness, what happened? We became as humanity subject to futility, corruption, and death. Now, when, the reason I want to use the words futility, corruption, is, and death is because when you go into the early church fathers and the early church understanding of the gospel, those would be the three conditions that happen when sin touches and enters into our life. So if you don't know what futility means, I didn't at first, it means a life prone to uselessness and pointlessness, so no purpose. And so we see that when sin entered, that this life of man, you and I now are subject to futility, corruption, and death. And so I want to now go into the Gospels of where we see Jesus, how he would interact with sinners. You know, Jesus had a rap, uh, a nickname called Friend of Sinners, right? That he uh, was kind of attracted to brokenness. Unlike maybe what we see with the Pharisee, where if they were to walk and see a leopard or to see someone unclean or see a sinner, they would freak out and run, right? But Jesus, the, the, the fullness and the flesh and the divinity of God, fully God and fully human, was attracted to the brokenness that he saw and didn't just leave it there and say, you need to repent. But what did he say? He went in, he healed, he set uh, demon-possessed people free. He operated and demonstrated what God's love looked like. And so I want you to see this. 
I'm reminded as a story came, several stories came that I want to share with you, is the story of a woman. And this woman uh, had a thirst issue. She was thirsty. And the Bible talks about that the place she was thirsty in was in her relationships. That she didn't just have one failed marriage, not two failed marriages, but five failed marriages. And the man she was living with present day wasn't even her husband. And the Bible says, and it's so beautiful, that this woman, this Samaritan woman who's sitting at the well, it says that the presence of God comes to her. And it says the presence of God sits with her. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus, he looks at this woman and he prophesies to her and tells her about her relationship problem. And imagine if a man starts getting all up in your business and begins sharing these things. I can tell you this woman was in awe and saying, who is this and how does he know my stuff? And so God and the presence of God represented in Jesus, Jesus begins to call the things that are deep within her that are so deeply broken because the Samaritan woman is subject to fertility, corruption, and death. She's broken. You know the story Jesus says that you are looking for water that can't quench you, but I have living water that can satisfy your soul. So what does the Bible say? The woman heard this and wanted what Jesus had to offer. So the Bible says that the woman gets up runs into town and tells everyone about the man she had just met. So again, we see the presence of God come to this woman in her sin, in her brokenness, not afraid to handle and to love and to care. The presence of God met her where she was at. I'm also reminded of another story. It's about a man in the Bible, and he was very wealthy, he had great power, great influence. And this man, because of his great power, his great wealth, and his great influence, was very greedy. And the Bible would call him not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. This chief tax collector would go by the wee little name of Zacchaeus, right? And so the Bible says that Zacchaeus, who was very wealthy but very short on friends, very, uh, because he was a Jew and in collusion with the Romans, and because of his collusion was ostracized by his own people. But here's where you see the grace of God intervene. It says, one day Zacchaeus is up in a sycamore fig tree, and it says the presence of God comes to him and looks at Zacchaeus up in the fig tree, and Jesus tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I want to have dinner in your home tonight. And so as Jesus is talking with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, again, a chief tax collector who his own people despised and ostracized, began to tell, told Jesus, okay, if I want to have you in my home. Let's have lunch. Let's have dinner. And if you look at what the conversation began to happen between Zacchaeus and Jesus, it's amazing. Where in the middle of them having dinner, Something leaps and something is exciting in Zacchaeus where it, it says he jumps up and he looks at Jesus and says, I want to give all that I've taken from the poor plus interest. And Jesus excitedly looks at Zacchaeus and he says, salvation has come to this house today. You are, are a son of Abraham. 
So again, we see the presence of God find a dirty, a embezzler, a tax collector, a chief tax collector in the presence of God encounters him. Thirdly, I'm also reminded of a story where we see in the Bible a woman, we don't know a lot of her backstory or what brought her to this place, but the Pharisees were going to use her to test God, to test his heart, to test his law. So the Bible says that the woman caught in the act of adultery is literally taken and is thrown in the middle of the presence of God. And what does the Bible say about this story? It says that as the Pharisees with their arms shrugged all around and looking at this woman and saying, we've got Jesus. We know what the law of Moses says. The law of Moses says, Jesus, that she is to be stoned and killed. What do you have to say? What does Jesus, what does Jesus do here? It's beautiful, it's powerful. What Jesus does is, before any words ever come out of his mouth in this conversation, it says that Jesus then bends down and he begins to write something in the dust. Now, it's pretty neat. I, as I was studying, I began to see, you know, it doesn't record what he, Jesus was writing in the dust, but it, it was for a purpose. The reason we don't know what God was writing in the, or what Jesus was writing in the dust because it was as though God was saying his response to the Pharisee and to the woman is that Jesus himself is enough. And so what do we see begin to take place? Jesus then opens his mouth and he begins to share something. He says, and he looks around at all the Pharisees ready to stone him, stone her. And he says, you without sin cast the first stone. And can you imagine being there? And it says one by one from the oldest to the youngest because they know they had been had, begin dropping their stones. And so what does Jesus do? He bends down by the woman who's uh, caught in the act, who's humiliated, feeling full of shame, knowing what is due to her. Says the Bible says that Jesus then lifts her head and says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. I'm also reminded as well of a story in Mark chapter 5 where it says that there was this demon-possessed man. And this demon-possessed man, not only possessed by one demon, but a legion of demons. And it says, as he is possessed, that the uh, aftermath, the effects of his possession has caught, caught, cost him to go and be isolated in the tombs. He lived among the tombs and in the caves. And this man who was isolated and ostracized because his community, his village, his tribe didn't know how to deal with him and didn't know what was going on with him and said, we, we're done with you. What happens? The Bible says that Jesus, the presence of God, literally sails the Sea of Galilee and goes to where everyone has said he's done, he's broken, he's lost. And the presence of God, it comes and it meets with this demon-possessed man. Now you go and you read the story, it's remarkable what happens, that Jesus walks into the cave and the Spirit begins talking back to Jesus. 
And Jesus saying, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not scared of you. But what I do say, come out of him in the name of Jesus. The Bible says instantly the spirit leaves. And as the spirit leaves, it's cast into a herd of pigs and herd of swine. And that swine, then the spirit takes those, that swine and they run off the cliff to their death. But what's amazing is of when the presence of God touched this demon-possessed man, the Bible says he was brought back to his right mind. And he, it says about this man who was possessed, it caused him to cut himself with stone. So there was something so deep in him, something, an illness so deep in him, a spirit so deep in him that caused him to mutilate and to harm himself. So the Bible says after he's cast out in Mark chapter 5 that he's back to his right mind and he's clothed again. His animalistic behaviors are gone. All because the presence of God met this man right where he was at. Can I just take a break and can I say who's thankful for the presence of God? It's awesome. And lastly, with it being Resurrection, Su Resurrection Sunday, I'm reminded of you and I. I'm reminded of what was literally happening on Good Friday underneath the cross. The Bible says that uh, the Roman soldiers were casting lots and spitting and, and mocking Christ. You know, I'm also thankful of what we've learned through our series, The Ten Gifts, where we look at from the first commandment to have no other gods before him to the last commandment of not coveting that how many times do we break the commandments? How many times do we murder somebody with our mouth? How many times do we envy? How many times do we forgo rest? How many times do we not honor our leaders or honor our parents? All of us are guilty of breaking God's commands. But what happens? What happens underneath the cross as they're murdering Christ? The presence of God comes right to them, comes right to us. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That Jesus' response to us when we mess up, when we fall short, when we sin, that sin isn't just breaking the law, but it's a disease that being incarcerated can't heal. Sin is a disease that if in a baby can't be spanked and the fever leaves. Sin is a disease that only the presence of God can heal. I've experienced this in my life, in my brokenness, that that's our heart here to bring healing to a broken world, that this gospel of healing, that the gospel of getting people to the presence of God, because see, the first gospel, it does something different. It pits God, the Father, and the Son against each other. This gospel never does. This gospel never pits man against God. It's God is constantly saying, I'm loving you, I want you, I want relationship with you, come to me, don't run in your sin. But what happens is Christ hangs on the cross on Good Friday, he breathes his last breath, he says, it is finished. Something powerful happens and this is what separates every other religion from Christianity because Jesus declares he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to understand as well and we know that all of us are going to have a date with death. All of us will die. 
And so going back here to the cross, when, we, when man meets its final uh, setting with death and we die, here's what's powerful, is on Silent Saturday, yesterday, the Bible talks about that with man dead, no hope for man, that when Jesus breathed his last breath, he did the unthinkable out of his love, out of his passion to reach humanity. What did he do? As he died, the Bible says that it was the harrowing of Hades, that it was the harrowing of hell, that Jesus went down into, the, into hell and he preached the gospel to all the souls, all the people that had died and not had the chance to receive Jesus and to uh, follow Jesus. There's a scripture I want you to see here, John 5, 28 and 29, because this is what was happening is Jesus was preaching the gospel, was taking the keys of death out of the hands of the enemy. Look what it says. It says, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. See, right now, the voice of God is trying to get our attention. The voice of God is trying to woo us in and draw us in. Look what it says. It says, and they will rise again. And those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So as this is taking place, the world didn't know that Jesus was about to say that love is stronger than the grave. And so the Bible says that on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead and conquers death by death. And he bestows life upon all of us. And by bestowing life and, and resurrecting, he then resurrects us. He resurrects you and I. And see, here's what's amazing. And here's what we encounter with people, with our friends, family workers, who don't choose to receive this love of God is again, this is what's happening. This is what's taking place in the scripture we just read that to those that receive this resurrection, those that receive this eternal life, his love is something to you and I that's warm and that's light and that's forgiveness and that's mercy and that's grace. But to those, as God is always doing this, always pouring this love like a river, those that choose to turn and not to hear the sound of resurrection, what happens is then that same love that never changes, then is experienced though is a consuming fire or is a wrath. And see, the Bible even talks about in Romans chapter 12, that to our enemies, those, uh, what does Paul say? He says, to your enemies, if they need clothes, give them clothes. If they need drink, give them drink. If they're hungry, give them food. And when you do this, it's as though it will be heaping coals upon them. Now, Jesus isn't teaching us to torment those that are far away, but as you're just giving this love and God is giving this love, something unsettling is happening within them. And here's the good news, that prayerfully, if they choose to turn, it won't be a one-way conversation of love going to them, but what will begin to take place is an enjoyed meal, a supper together of two, of God, of man, of man and enemy now becoming friends and enjoying the presence of God together. Isn't this a beautiful gospel? 
Isn't this beauty that will save our world? And so what I want to do here is, I'm not going to say anything, but I want to reenact it just with the chairs, and I want you to watch it. Look what it, look what it looks like, and I pray this again. You never forget this. And when you're in the office on Monday, you go grab two office chairs and you go preach the gospel to somebody, okay? So you have God and you have man, okay? Here's what happens. on, we do this. God keeps pursuing us. He never stops. We can try to hide, but his love is always there, wooing us and drawing us. He never turns from us, but here's what happens. When we keep turning, eventually, what do we do? The grace, the love, the mercy of God is so irresistible that we turn back to him and relationship is restored and the power of sin is broken. Aren't you thankful for a beautiful gospel this morning? I'm telling you, beauty will save the world. I want to show you a scripture. First John, or John 1.14 which is really where we get the beauty of the gospel. It tells us about Jesus. It says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. So right here we see, we behold the beauty of His glory. That beholding Him is what changes us, is what woos us, it's what captures our heart for Christ. And it says, In the glory of the only begotten of the Father, then it says, Full of grace and full of truth. You need to know this morning that God, that Jesus, his love is full of grace and it's full of truth and it's beautiful. And if you'll open up your heart, if you open up your eyes, open up your mind, it will draw you, it will captivate you in your darkest times, in your best of times, that the river of God's love is always flowing, always wooing us and always drawing us. And so it wouldn't be right this morning on Resurrection Sunday, if I didn't extend an invitation, that maybe you're here and you've never had the opportunity to receive the love of Jesus. Maybe you've been given a gospel where when you sin, when you fall short, when you miss the mark and you turn from God, then God turns from you. That's not the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. He is always pursuing us. The one that did turn away from God and didn't want it was always the Pharisee. Jesus was always the one running to the sin, running to the brokenness to heal it. 
And so this morning, you have to understand that sin is so much more than just a ticket into heaven, or salvation is so much more than just a ticket into heaven, but the heart of salvation is healing for your soul, is healing of the disease of sin that wants to cause fidelity, corrupt, or futility, corruption, and death in your life. And so this morning, I pray that you see the beauty of the gospel. And if you've never made a public decision that I want to follow Jesus, I want to turn to his love, what's happening is all of us have to sit in the seat and we have to choose to turn. And out of that, everything begins to change in our life. You begin to experience your purpose, your destiny, your calling, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. You're made new, the Bible talks about. You are born again. You are a new creation. And it is the most beautiful thing that ever happens. Now, there might be some of us where we can identify ourselves as we teeter-totter. We're one foot out. We're one foot in. Maybe we're backsliding and we do a little bit of this. Whatever it looks like, know that the grace and the love and the mercy of God is always pursuing you and wanting to draw you home. Say, welcome home. I love you. I've missed you. I've been waiting on you. Let me clean you. Let me restore you. Let me transform you. Let my blood wash over your wounds and heal you. Again, this is a beautiful gospel. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's the first step to have this public decision to say, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. I need to respond to God's love. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of backsliding. Today, I want to respond. I want to make sure my soul is good. And more important than that, I want to make sure that the effects of sin in my life, that I can be healed in Jesus' name. Real simple. The Bible's clear. Again, all you have to do is say, I want that relationship with God. So I want to ask you, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never made the decision to turn to the love of God, now can be your opportunity. As Christ conquered death by death, he then resurrects you to new life. That's the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. So if you have not made that decision, I just simply want you to raise your hand and then we want to pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning you want to respond to the beauty of the gospel? Amen. Amen. Well, I pray that all of us sitting here that that first gospel again, where we have the feeling and the sense that God turns from us, that that would be cleared up this morning, is that God does not turn from you. We are in the era of, gra the era of grace and the era of mercy. And he, every day when we wake up, our prayer and our heart should be, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me today. I'm in need of grace. I'm in need of forgiveness. Heal me, cleanse me, and set me free. And so this morning, as a church celebrating the resurrection, I want all of us to stand. And I want Bree to lead us in this song of where we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Let's worship.